0: Freedom in Christ is our theme for this year, We're doing a number of series about different kinds of freedom, and the series that we just started, in our third series, is uh, Free from Fear. Last week we started talking about fear and getting acquainted with fear. I told you that when I selected this series, I, I thought it would be pretty easy. Uh, in, in Christ, we should fear nothing. So I'd just pick out the top four or five fears that people have, and uh, we'd talk about why we shouldn't be afraid of those. But uh, the more I looked, it depends a lot on what you call fear. Uh, Some fears are real, and some are imagined, and we don't always agree on what's real and what's imagined. So we took the uh, tack of trying to define fear. We defined fear, and the one big distinction we saw Uh, the dictionary definition, there's two kinds of fear. Well, one is an anxiety uh, because of some danger, real or perceived or whatever. And then the other one is a reverence or an awe for the supreme being. And so let's make sure we know we're not talking about fear of God. That's that's reasonable, that's good, that's the beginning of wisdom. Uh, But we're talking about the other kind, where we as humans are fearful or anxious or uh, nervous or worried about some perceived danger. Uh, In fact, as we talked about that, we found a lot of words that we can use to describe fear. Uh, You don't have to be deathly afraid of something to uh, qualify for this series of uh, lessons. Uh, We can use the word uh, worry, and we could have called this free from worry intimidation, unsettledness, dread, unease, alarm, distress, apprehensive. All of those are words that we use sometimes to some degree we are afraid of something, or we worry about it, or we're not sure about it, or anxious about it, is what the Bible says. Now, uh, hopefully that will help you understand what we're talking about in this series. Um, The main point that we wanted to make last week, Uh, The main point was facing fear with faith. Whatever the fear is, however you define it, wherever you are on that scale of 1 to 10 or or whatever, uh, we're supposed to face it with faith. And that's the very basic thing I hope we got across last week. Uh, We have to master that before we can go on to the other things. Uh, One of God's most repeated commands we saw last week was fear not. He says, fear not, over and over in the Bible. I know it probably doesn't show up uh, from where you are, but the background of that slide is all Scripture. All different verses in the red are what Jesus himself said it, uh, but there's a lot of Scriptures. And there's more that say, fear not. Command us to fear not. Uh, Paul commanded in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't be anxious about anything. He used one of our words there in the range of uh, words that we looked at, uh, chose anxiety instead of worry. He said, don't be anxious about anything. And you remember the rest of the verse. He said, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So don't be anxious about it. Talk to God about it. And what will happen? He said, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He'll take away that anxiety. He'll give your mind peace. There's no reason in Christ to be fearful and anxious and worried about things. So that was our introduction last week. Today, uh, we're dealing with disaster. Talking about dealing with with disaster. And uh, I couldn't decide if I wanted to deal with this one or not, with natural disasters, because I didn't know how many people really are fearful of such things. Uh, But then I began to think about it. Uh, Somebody told me that uh, they knew somebody that would never move to a certain area of the country, uh, this area actually, because they were afraid of tornadoes. Uh, They'd never live here. And I thought, well, people are afraid of things. Uh, and let's talk about it a little bit. As I've thought over people being afraid of natural disasters, I remembered distinctly uh, one year at Tulsa at the Soul Winning Workshop a number of years ago. I happened to be sitting beside my old friend Jeff Walling on Friday night in the bleachers there. And uh, the announcer came out, the MC, and said, we've got some weather reports uh, that we're under a tornado watch. There's 10,000 people in this building. This guy comes out and calmly says, we're under a tornado watch. There's uh, conditions for tornadoes are in the area. And Jeff just went ballistic. He said, well, what's going to happen? What's going on? What's that mean? I said, well, it means that There's storms out there, and some of them could develop tornadoes. We don't know. You don't worry about a watch. You just go on about your business, and they'll tell you if it's going to get worse. And pretty soon they came out, and they said, well, we're under a tornado alert. Whoa, man. Whoa, what's that mean? Now, Now, bear in mind, this guy is from Southern California, born and raised there. Okay? And there, the earth shakes. You know, I mean, it'll roll you out of bed sometimes. There, you can be driving on the street, and the mountain will just slide down on you. You know, there, every year, they just burn the mountains up. You know, and there, every once in a while, the people in L.A. just burn their city up. You know, but this guy's scared to death of tornadoes. So we went on. He kept wanting details, wanted to know what do we do about this and what. To... Finally, they came out and they said, "Okay, now if the tornadoes get close, here's what we're going to do: we, the shelter is out in the walkways around the pavilion. So all of you on the floor will exit and go out into those walkways and take shelter. The rest of you stay right where you are." <laughs> oh boy! Now we were. DEFCON 3. I mean, Jeff was Well What do you mean? Why do we have to stay here? Why do they get to go to shelter? What's going on? I mean, he was just out of control. I said, well, that's just the way they got the system. It's no big deal. You just do what they tell you, and we'll probably be all right. What do you mean probably? (laughs) Well, you don't know with tornadoes. He said, what do you mean you don't know with tornadoes? What's a tornado do? I said, well, it can do anything it wants. You know, I said, that's why they're good. They might miss you. You know? I said, a tornado, if, so he really wanted to know. So I said, well, if a tornado came through here, it might just wipe out everything. You know, whether you're in shelter or not, it'd just take you. It might take out the amusement park next door and hop over us and go on down the road and not bother us a bit. It might take the roof off of this pavilion and all of us just be sitting here fine and it wouldn't even rattle the songbooks books or anything. That could happen with a tornado. Tornadoes are like that. Well, that, I finally figured out I wasn't helping him a whole lot. <laughs> with all of this, he was really nervous about things. And uh, so, so I guess... What I'm saying is maybe instead of calling this fear of disasters, uh, this would fit better in fear of what we're not familiar with. I think that stuff seems to bother us more. We're familiar with some disasters, and they don't bother us so much. Kansans don't worry too much about tornadoes. Uh, Jeff moved from the West Coast to the East Coast, so he got hurricane experience out there. And he's still afraid of tornadoes. He had not had that experience yet. So uh, people are afraid, deathly afraid. Christians are deathly afraid of disasters. And I hope you've sensed by now that I'm talking mostly about uh, natural disasters, uh, man-made tragedies, man-made disasters, if you will, or something completely different. Uh, 9-11 was a disaster in one sense, but it's not what I'm talking about today. Uh, evil in men caused disasters, tragedies. But I'm talking about natural disasters. The, the Science Channel, I looked on, once again I Googled for what are natural disasters, and the Science Channel had a list that I kind of liked, uh, and I put it on your handout for you. The trick with making lists of the worst natural disasters is how you rate them. You rate them by the death toll, or you rate them by the economic impact, or do you rate them by how much area they cover? Or what? There's all sorts of different ways to rate them. For instance, in the top number of disasters, a lot of places I look, a certain drought or a number of years without rain was a huge natural disaster because it cost billions of dollars, it didn't kill anybody. Particularly, But it cost billions of night. It was a huge natural disaster. And others take enormous amounts of human life. So lots of different ways to rate them, but here's the way the Science Channel rated the top ten. The Great Flood, they put number one. And I thought that was good of them to include the Great Flood in there. Uh, of course, you have to if you're going by death toll, because the death toll was 100%. Uh, minus eight, I guess, but 100% killed everybody. Uh, they did say in their little report that maybe it didn't happen, but if it did happen, it would be number one. Number two, they, they took the uh, tsunami that happened in the Indian Ocean in 2004. started with a 9.1 earthquake that lasted for eight minutes is what really was the bad part of it. It just kept shaking the earth. Uh, some scientists said that every part of the planet moved at least one centimeter. It shook the whole earth. That's a pretty good earthquake. And it killed over 230,000 people, almost a quarter of a million people. The third one they picked was Hurricane Katrina. Uh, we're familiar with that. killed 1,800, but the property damage was just horrific. Number four, they picked a volcano that erupted back in the 1800s, Krakatoa in the Indonesia. Uh, I think we've talked about that some before. The whole island was a volcano, and it sunk. It blew up so bad, and it sunk, and it went down to the bottom and kept erupting and kept sending tsunamis, and tsunamis went everywhere and drowned thousands and thousands. Uh, The ash from that volcano uh, went all the way around the world and blacked out of America. New England uh, thought the end of the world had come because they couldn't see the sun that day. Uh, That was a big disaster. Uh, Number five, they picked the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in Pompeii back in 79 AD. Number six was an earthquake in China, a place we've never heard of, but uh, the official estimate was a quarter of a million killed. Uh, most people say it was probably twice that because they didn't know how to count them. Huge earthquake. Seventy-four, some of you may remember this one. Uh, one day in the United States, 148 tornadoes were formed in one 24-hour period and swept across the country and did unbelievable damage. Uh, There were none of those in Kansas, by the way, back in that outbreak anyway, but almost every other state had a tornado or two. An earthquake was number eight down in Chile, strongest earthquake ever recorded, 9.5 on the scale, Uh, probably killed about 6,000 people there, but it killed people all over the world. It killed 61 in Hawaii, just with the tsunami. That was a big earthquake. 93, there was a storm of the century, uh, and I, I really don't remember this but, but vaguely, uh, but they said the weather conditions came together where there were just terrible conditions everywhere on the east part of the United States mainly. Uh, Cuba, there were storms in the Gulf, and Canada, there was freezing temperatures, and that all came together, and there were tornadoes and hurricanes and snowstorms and rainstorms, and they had, unbelievable storm of the century. And the last one they picked, number 10, was a Wisconsin wildfire. Uh, In 1871 we didn't have ways to fight wildfires with planes and all of that, and it just burned millions of acres. It just started burning and it kept going. So those are some of the things that some websites list as disasters. Uh, Your insurance company, would call some of those acts of God. Acts of God. You ever thought about that? All those things I mentioned, all those people killed, all that property destroyed, is that an act of God? Probably haven't thought about it unless you experienced one and your insurance company told you they were rejecting your claim. Then you probably thought about it a little bit. But are those acts of God? Uh, Let's walk through where God is in this disaster business. When we see disasters on TV, uh, cities and islands flooded, covered with a tsunami, on fire, whatever we see, uh, where's God in all that? And I think our initial reaction is to say, well, God doesn't have anything to do with that. God's not involved in that. I mean, he wouldn't be involved in killing a quarter of a million people. The trouble is, the atheist argument, their main argument, is is based right around what we're talking about here today. An atheist will say, if God exists, then he's all-powerful, right? Well, yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, if he's all-powerful, then he could stop bad things. And you know he doesn't stop bad things because these storms kill a quarter of a million people and all that. So therefore, he doesn't exist. That's an atheist's basic argument. You can state it another way. You can say, if God knows that they're evil, is evil, if God knows bad things are going to happen, and he can't prevent it, then he's not all-powerful. You tell me your God is all-powerful and all-loving and all of that. If he knows there's evil coming, if he knows where that tornado is going, and he chooses not to stop it, or if he can't stop it, then he's not all-powerful. If he knows there's evil and he can prevent it, but he doesn't for some reason, then he's not all-loving because a loving God wouldn't let that happen. See, there's the argument. So I think we as Christians need to think through this, where is God in all of this? Now, one answer, I already said our inclination initially, is to say, well, God's not involved in this. He created nature, and then he just turned it loose. He lets it work, and the world works. And it produces tornadoes and hurricanes and volcanoes and things, and he doesn't have anything to do with it. He's not operating this. He's not saying, I think I'll send an earthquake to this area today. Well, that's an answer. Another answer, possible one, is to say, well, it isn't God's fault, it's Satan. You know, he's the prince of this world, and he's the one that's messing with this somehow. You know, he's using all these natural disasters to kill people and cause people to question God and all of that. A little problem with that guess is that it seems from the book of Job that Satan can use things like that, but he has to ask permission. So now you've got God back into it. bit of a difficulty here, isn't there? How do we explain this? Well, the right answer, I think, is to consider the big picture. And in the big picture, God is sovereign. In the big picture, God's sovereign. And we'll work on this just a little bit more in a moment. Psalm 135, verse 6 says, The Lord does whatever pleases Him. In the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths, he makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and he brings out the wind from his storehouses. It says God does operate in the natural world. He does control things. He is sovereign and he can do what he wants. And so we wrestle with that a bit. The way we say, well, I'm not sure God controls every little rainstorm. How many of you had a little two or three minute rainstorm last night about six o'clock? Yeah, I mean, it just poured for two or three minutes. I'm not sure God said, I think I'll make it pour right there for two or three minutes. Yeah, I don't know. But the Bible says he's in control. I try to reason around it, and I don't know except what the Bible says, and it says he is sovereign. He does control things. Another thing we need to think about is God has used nature to punish people, to oppose evil, specifically even to kill people. This is a picture of the sites of what they think was Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. The the burned sulfur is underneath the, the ashes on top. Sodom, it, it rained brimstone. Now, that's a disaster if you ever heard of one. Yeah, Dave Freeman would freak on that one. You know. <laughs> it's raining brimstone. Okay? But God did that. Okay? He had some people that he needed to deal with. So he made it rain, fire, and brimstone. Egypt. Look at all the things he did to Egypt. He turned the sun off. He sent hail like they'd never seen hail before. He sent natural disaster after natural disaster. Jonah. Look at Jonah. Jonah said, I think I'll run away from God. One guy rebelling against God. And what God do? He started a storm that had everybody on the lake scared to death. Okay? So not only does the Bible say God's sovereign and does control things, We also have plenty of examples where God has used nature for his purposes. So maybe, maybe this is the right answer. Maybe God knows exactly what he's doing. Maybe we can't see it. But maybe God knows exactly what he's doing. Maybe somehow all of this fits together and we can't figure it out. The good and the bad fit together somehow. What what he causes versus what he allows, and we don't know the difference, all fit together. Now, we don't have time to argue this in detail. I mean, this is a big topic. But I just want to show you one little piece, and we're going to take this as our answer and go on. Uh, so we've got our faith lined up. Here's a favorite verse, Romans eight twenty-eight. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, is the way we translate it. And the way we interpret that is that whatever happens, God doesn't cause it. He, he, he doesn't make it happen, perhaps. But in that, whatever it is, how bad it is, he'll work some good out of it for you. For his people, he'll work some good out of it. And that's, I think that's true. That's one way to uh, think of it and interpret it. What I want to do is let's look at the original construction of that sentence in the Greek because it's hard to translate a little bit. And that translation I showed you is a pretty good one, but I think it misses one really key point. Here's the original construction. There's a Greek phrase that says, And we know, and then one that says, That to the one's loving God. It technically says, That to the loving God, but it says, That to the one's loving God. And then there's a phrase that says, all things work together, and then God for good. So you can see how translating Greek phrases into understandable English is hard. But look at that third one there. What the Bible wrote wrote or Paul wrote was, all things work together. All things work together. The atheist says, well, how does a tsunami in Japan correlate to an all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God? And we we can't answer, except with this. All things work together. God knows exactly what he's doing. And, And all things work together. And the part of that verse that's the most powerful, perhaps, is we know that. We know all things work together. We ought to. That's the faith that we face this fear with. We know all things work together. For the ones that love God, God will make good out of it. God is for good. And all things work together. Whether we can see it or not, whether we have a clue or not, whether we look at a disaster and think that is absolutely the worst thing that ever happened. No, it isn't. It's a bad thing. But all things work together. Take it down to a micro level and we understand that. Bad things happen to our kids. They fall off their trike and they skin their knee and we say they learn something from that. All things work together. Take it up to the macro level, and it's harder to see a quarter of a million people killed and say, well, that's going to work out. But God knows exactly what he's doing. All right, enough on God and disaster. There's plenty of reason, I think, for faith to face this fear. So let's keep going. Let's think about us and disasters. Uh, We may see some more of God's purpose in this. This may help us understand it. I listed six things on your handout that disasters do. Number one, disasters teach us to reflect on God's goodness. If there was never a disaster, would you ever stop and think about how good God is? Probably not. We'd just get used to it. We'd take it for granted. But when there's something, a disaster happens. We, We see a report on TV. What do we think? The first thing we usually think is, boy, I'm sorry for those people. My heart breaks for all those people that are losing lives and property and family and all that. And our second thought pretty quickly comes is gratitude for me. I'm glad God's good to me. I'm glad that hadn't happened to me. It makes us think about how good God is. And in the big picture, these disasters, when we look at them one by one, we think they're the worst thing that could possibly happen. But a few years, they're forgotten. I'm sure those people that were involved in the storm of the century in 1993 thought there could never be anything worse in the world. This 20 years later. I don't even remember it. In the big picture, God is good so much more than any of this disaster we're talking about. We, and we need to stop and reflect on that. Number two, disasters, and this is a little bit flippant perhaps, but disasters put us in our place. You know, we humans get to thinking we're something. We get to thinking we can really handle things. And that we can engineer and design and can control anything. And just when we get to thinking that, get to thinking that we're really special and we're running everything, a little black cloud out there on the horizon will come and it'll turn into a funnel and it will come down and pick up our mightiest work and throw it in the cornfield. We say, well, maybe we weren't as smart as we thought we were. You know, we as humans... Think, we're we're going to control things. Look at New Orleans. Somebody said this would be a nice place for a city. I know it's under sea level, but we can handle that. We'll build some levees. We'll build some canals here. We'll do this. We'll strengthen those levees. And then, to make sure, we'll have our government certify those levees. Then you can build a city under sea level. And Katrina just laughs. Katrina says, you fools. You can't do that. Disasters put us in our place sometimes. Number three, disasters draw our attention to God. Just that picture right there, that background picture, when you see that, Don't you think of the power of God that draws our attention to that? We, every day, when there's not a disaster, like I'm talking about, you realize that we ignore probably a hundred times as much death and destruction. We just ignore it. It's just the way the world is. We live in a dark, violent, sex-obsessed world that destroys hundreds thousands of people every day. And we just go on about our business. It happens all around us. It's on the front page. And we don't pay any attention to it. A disaster makes us think about God. Number four, disasters cause us to consider our eternal condition. When you see a disaster and you see a thousand people, two hundred people, a quarter of a million dying, do you ever think, I wonder how many of them were prepared to meet God? disaster will make you think of those things. Am I prepared to meet God? I said 9-11 was a different thing, but I've mentioned before that churches all over the land, including this one on North Meridian, the Sunday after 9-11, people came to church. People came to church. I need to get my right life, life right. I need to get back to God. Number five, disasters give us an opportunity to serve. i got a young couple here that was in Japan when the tsunami hit a few years ago. What was your best time of service? You could ask Paul and Stacy, and I bet they'll tell you, after the tsunami hit. We could serve people. We could reach people then. Number six, disasters help us remember his promise. Disasters remind us, we'll get to the promise in a moment, disasters remind us That this is a fallen world. This is not our home. When we sing about it, we say, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Disasters make us remember the promise. Now, here's the promise for you. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. John the Revelator said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. There's a promise for you. Disasters make us think of that. Yeah, disasters seem bad at the moment, and they are bad. But in the big picture... We're just passing through. He will be our God. No tears, no mourning, no death. That's the faith that we meet this fear with. I hope that today has helped understand a little bit about dealing with disaster. The answer comes back to our faith every time. Whatever fear we're looking at, let me read you something that... A lady named Hannah Whitehall Smith wrote. You may have read some of her devotional writings. At one point in her life, she was in pain. She had been through tragedies. She had all kinds of problems. And she had lots of unanswered questions. Why is this going on in my life? She said she talked to everybody, did, tried everything. And she finally picked the most spiritual woman that she knew. She went to visit her. She said, I summoned up my courage, therefore, one afternoon and went to see her and poured out my troubles, expecting that, of course, she would take a deep interest in me and would be at great pains to do all she could to help me. When I'd finished my story and had paused, expecting sympathy and consideration, she simply said, Yes, all you say may be very true. But then, in spite of all of it, there is God. I waited a few minutes for something more, but nothing came, and my friend and teacher had the air of having said all that was necessary. But I continued, surely you didn't understand how very serious and perplexing my difficulties are. Oh, yes, I did, replied my friend. But then, as I tell you, (laughs) there is God. And I couldn't induce her to make any other answer. It seemed to me most disappointing and unsatisfactory. I felt that my peculiar and really harrowing experiences could not be met by anything as simple as merely the statement, yes, but there is God. At last, I came gradually to believing that. Being my creator and redeemer, he must be enough. And at last, a conviction burst upon me that he really was enough. And my eyes were opened to the fact of the absolute and utter all-sufficiency of God. Understand God is sovereign. And understand that God is sufficient. And we can deal with disaster. Next week, I'm going to take time out from our fear series for the 4th of July weekend. We're going to stay on the theme of freedom, but a little different. Uh, We're going to leave the Bible as our source and turn to Norman Rockwell, Uh, (laughs) if that's all right with you. Uh, Norman Rockwell painted four famous pictures back in the 40s, I think, uh, the four freedoms of America. Uh, Freedom of worship, freedom of speech, freedom from fear, and freedom from want. And we're going to discuss those four freedoms next Sunday since it's the Fourth of July weekend. And if you're in town, we hope you come... Be a part of that study. Then the next time we're together on this series, uh, Freedom of Fear, we're going to continue talking about our nation, uh, because I believe there are a lot of people in our nation who have a fear that this nation will fall. Uh, The things going on now, and the difficulties in the world, uh, people are fearful of things. And we're going to deal with that, see what kind of faith deals with that. All right, let me close by reading Psalm 46. We started with that. Let me read part of it again. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's enough for those who love him. If you love him, if you've obeyed him, that's enough. If you haven't obeyed him, we're going to make an opportunity for you to do so this morning. Come if you need to, let's stand and sing.